Hey everyone, and welcome to the Class of 2020 podcast. I'm Asara, and I'm here to tell you about an awesome and pretty cool podcast that you're going to need to hear. We know that times are tough. The coronavirus pandemic has affected all sectors of the jobs market. It's ruined all prospects of easy career development, changed our student learning experience as we know it, and it has many of us at home sending applications for jobs which aren't going anywhere. We've gathered people from Gen Z ages 16 to 25 and set them up for awesome one-to-one discussions with experts, business leaders, sports superstars, entrepreneurs and industry minds from across the world to ask them the questions that you and every young person cares about today. How to start your career, ways of success, how to overcome adversity and so much more everything you need to support you on your own growth your own journey and your own development all for you all for free at the class of 2020 podcast brought to you by the branding man Hey guys, Asaro here from the Class of 2020 podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we have Class of 2020 rep Claire Downey sitting down with the one and only Manisha Taylor MBE in a two-parter episode. In part one of this discussion, Manisha gives us her career highlights, challenges and tribulations, and how to make a career out of what you love most. So without further ado, let's get into this episode and we hope you enjoy listening. So today we have the lovely Manisha Taylor, MBE, not forgetting the MBE of course. She has a really fascinating story to tell us uh, about how you can change your career, you can follow your passions and uh, overcome adversity as well. Uh, so without uh, further ado, uh, Manisha, do you want to just uh, give us a quick uh, intro into who you are and, and what you do? Sure. So, um, so my name's Manisha Taylor. I'm a former deputy head teacher, primary school trained. And I currently work in football, so um, twofold really. One is through my company, Spackalicious Limited, and the other is I work full-time at Queen's Park Rangers Football Club at the Boys' Academy. So fascinating career there, uh, switching from teaching to working in football. Uh, I just want to start with the teaching uh, part. Um, You know, how did you get into that? I know you had a pretty speedy progression through that career as well. Do you want to just uh, explain a bit about that? Yeah, so um, things. I grew up in a time where there were very few opportunities for girls and, uh, and women to develop a career in sport and, and in particular football. So I've always had a passion for football. And as being ethnic minority, I didn't see many people that looked like me. Uh, when I was growing up so I knew that football probably wouldn't be a a viable career path for me and I found a love for working with young people when I did child development GCSE so I did the BA in education with QTS which is a qualified teacher status at Goldsmiths University It's it's a great college for anybody who is thinking about a career in teaching I think Additionally, what's really good now in comparison to what I feel when I was looking at university was that you can actually now um, become a coach through studying at university uh, as well as doing the vocational courses. So I think that um, there's a lot more variety now 
with regards to, to courses, which, which is really good. And it doesn't mean to say that you have to go to, to uni. You can also uh, go through the vocational route, which, which, I'll, which I'll touch on as well, because that's kind of what I did. I don't have you know, a, an academic background in, in football or coaching. So what I've been able to do is, is to transfer skill set. So I started off as um, a, a newly qualified teacher. I worked in a school in Ealing. It was, it was quite, quite a bit of a commute where I live but I've always wanted to work in diverse boroughs hence um, why I thought okay well you know I've got a job in Ealing um, as an NQT and um, I was there for about three months so I did I did a school term and then moved on now that school was also a special measure school so it was, it was quite tough as my first teaching experience being in a school um, that was in special measures and would also take me two hours to get there and two hours to, to drive back. So I, I felt personally it was too much for me. Um, then got a job in a private school and it was a Hindu faith school. That was a great and interesting experience because again, it was, it was diverse. It was a little bit nearer for me to commute to. It was in Brent. So not, not far from where I was, but a, a unique, very unique school and very unique experience. And, and I felt that there was, there was a lot that I gained from it. So I spent a little bit of time in the state sector, some time in a private sector in a faith school, and then felt for me, it was time to explore and go back into um, a state school environment. So, I mean, all private schools will be very different. And I think for me, it was just about timing. Um, what was great was I had experiences of being a, um, a reception class teacher. I was um, facilitating, initiating uh, football football there. So after school clubs and lunchtime clubs. And because it was a pre preparatory school, there was a link to the secondary um, school there too. So it was great because we were able to use sport, particularly with the sixth formers and the teachers. To, to engage them in football and we do mini tournaments with the staff and that was that was that was really good and we all really enjoyed that and I became art coordinator so that was my first real experience of and I was only 22 that was my first real experience of I guess coordinating and leading and developing other skills and I felt for me and particularly somebody who was still very young learning the, the trade of teaching and then beginning that journey of like a senior role and, and leading. So, so in our coordinator was, was brilliant. Um, and thereafter I was in a state school in Brent as well. And I, I was there then for, for about six years and from teaching reception and year three, I was then in year six and actually I spent six years teaching year six. And that was really different, but but I'm lucky that I had some great mentors and, and the head teacher had a lot of faith, faith in me. And I think what was really beneficial was having a grounded understanding of child development at the early stages. And once you can cement that, actually, what I learned was that you can then scaffold um, and challenge the children as they're older. So really, it was it was me becoming more confident, I think, in myself, in managing children who are a little bit older than me. I, look, I'm not the, the, the tallest person 
Uh, I'm only four foot nine and a half. And the half's really important when you're not five foot. Um, so the, the kids would have been my size, if not taller. So, you know, it, you're, you're, you're this petite female who's used to teaching younger children who were, you know, uh, a lot smaller. And now you're going into a class where the children are a little bit taller than you and they're older. So again, that was a great experience because, you know, it, it stretches and challenges you as a person and you just learn to be adaptable and develop other skills. And I then, as, as each year went on, I was growing and I was developing and I was given other responsibilities. So that went from, for example, head of, head of year six, uh, I, you know, uh, science, science, head of science and science coordinator, extended schools coordinator, you, head of assessment. In, in, a, um, in a primary school, quite different to a secondary school in the respect that you teach everything. So you teach 11 subjects. Uh, funny enough, how much, you know, I love football. I say I taught football. I, I led on the initiatives in relation to football, but um, PE was my PPA cover most of the time. So that means that that was actually taught by specialists and other teachers, because that would be my time to be able to, to plan and, and to um, mark and, and do the assessments. And in the latter part of my time at that school, I became assistant head. And again, that, that was another experience because in my, I was assistant head for two years. And in my second year, I wasn't class-based. I would do small intervention groups. So you're within, say from 2001, which is when I became a teacher, to 2008, that's quite a short amount of time. So I'm going from being an NQT to now, you know, in, in about seven years, that is, to, to being an assistant head where you're, you know, you're closely working with the deputy head, the head teacher, and, and overseeing, um, overseeing staff and having to learn how to manage people, manage people who may be a lot more experienced than you are, a lot older than you are, but then again, manage people who may be new to teaching um, and a lot younger than, than you might be. And, and managing different personalities and characters. So that in itself, again, was another, another learning experience for me. And I felt that me being how I am, driven and very ambitious, I, I came to a point where um, I, I kind of hit my ceiling at the school. And I was successful to get onto the, it's a bit of a mouthful, so the MPQH is the National Professional qualification for headship and that's um, a trainee headship which is basically uh, competency based and to, to help me I guess um, further grow I think the, the head teacher and myself we both agreed it was probably better that I gained a role in another school and also um, maybe a deputy head head role so I did, and it was in Hillenden, and it was as an interim uh, headship, uh, interim deputy headship post. And, you know, it, it was very different. It was a Church of England school, um, not many ethnic minority members of staff. Uh, again, not, not many ethnic minority um, children, very different to what I've been used to. And, and, and for myself, I felt 
for the first time that being a minority could possibly be perceived as different. And that was the first time I ever looked at the fact that I am a minority within this majority group. It never occurred to me before. And funny enough, so in 2011, when I took my career change, when I then went into football, I, I noticed that again, that there's a real lack of diversity, but on, you know, we're looking at many protected characteristics. So as, as a woman, um, as, a, as a South Asian woman, the, you know, when you're looking at the professional game, you are one of very few within this majority group. And I felt that had it not been for my time in education and the experiences that I went through in the different schools and working with different people, I don't think I would have been as resilient. And I know that I still have to learn to be more resilient, I feel personally, but I felt that I was in a better position because of those experiences, particularly in my last school, that was, that was really challenging for me um, as a person. But again, you know, great from the point of view of being able to develop and, and learn other strategies, particularly around emotional regulation and, and, and being calm and actually learning to manage with the fact that there is there is clearly you know an indifference and and what do you do to overcome that what you know what, what do you do and like i said coming into football not that i've been overtly treated differently but the environment is very different to education you know i'm used to coming from a primary educational world which certainly when i was there it was very female heavy come into something that's polar opposites, which is male heavy. Again, I spoke about being a minority that, you know, that there aren't that many people from black, Asian and minority groups that are in um, the professional game and working in, in the elite part of football. And then when you, you look at coaching and management specifically, you know, I, I, I could probably name people on one hand when we're talking about those who are full-time who oversee a department and manage people who are either female or come from minority backgrounds, you know, and, and I think I that, wanna, that that's a lot. I just want to uh, go back to that point. So you've had this meteoric career rise through teaching and then for the first time in your career, you, you hit a wall, you experience, I would say racism and probably sexism. I mean, how did that manifest on a day to day? How did you feel and what did you experience? I didn't want to go I didn't want to go into work it was it was really tough it was the first time I had to call the teachers union uh, I've never in in the you know in that 10 years I've never called never used the teachers union before but you know it was the first time that, that I had to call to, to seek advice and I was on an interim post so fortunately for me I had all I, I'd made say fortunately unfortunately but I'd made the decision that once my post was to end I will not be looking to renew it or asking if there was a, a vacancy available. And I didn't want to leave halfway because I just felt that this is a part of a journey in my life that, you know, I need to be able to navigate through and work through. But it was tough. You know, I, I cried a lot. Like I said, I, I didn't want to go in because 
you know when you're when you're in an environment and you are you feel like you are bullied um on a day-to-day basis and you are spoken to where you're undermined it's it's really tough you know but i felt i needed to to push through it and you know some of the strategies of doing that really was about learning what to say what not to say and be better about that 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 could be just seen as learning to play the game a little bit better uh learning that there'll be many battles that actually i can't win so i just had to think about the fact that i would only be there for the amount of time that i was going to be there so in that respect because i knew that my my contract would be ending it was easier <coughs> for me to to look at okay let's look at some short term goals what what what's more easily achievable um, and keep mentally well at the same time because you still want need to be able to and want to be able to to perform and you're going into an environment that you could say is is toxic from your point of view and you feel very isolated and alone because there, there wasn't anybody that, that I felt that I, you know, in-house would, would talk to and turn to. So you're very much on your own. And like I said, I feel that had I not gone through that, I wouldn't be in the position when I took the transition to work in football to be a lot more bold and to be a lot more resilient and to not feel isolated, even though you, you could be or are usually the only female within the office. But I, because I feel I'm in a different place now where I'm a lot more confident and a lot more resilient, I can hold my own better in comparison to before. So in some respects, I, kind of, I, I thank that experience because you need to go through it. And I think unless you go through those adversities and challenges, you don't learn how to adapt and you don't learn how to grow and then be able to use some of those skills and traits into another environment. Definitely. I think you make a really valid point there that that resilience that you've, you've developed has really helped you out in your new career path in football. Do you want to tell us a bit about your, your role in football now, how you got it and uh, what it's really like being a, a woman working in football? Yes, so um, Chris Ramsey is our head of coaching at QPR and technical director. So he's my boss. And I had met Chris originally in 2014 at St. George's Park. He wasn't a QPR at the time. And I also didn't have my UEFA B license, which would be a prerequisite for anybody to work part-time in an academy. We spoke, you know, it was myself, Chris Ramsey and Chris Bell, we were on, um, on a panel. And thereafter, I asked him some questions, you know, um, just about the football environment and, and what I might need to do. I didn't think at that time that working in the professional game would be something that I would, I would pursue. I was volunteering and working at Middlesex of the Girls Centre of Excellence. It was just an opportunity to me ha- so to be able to have a conversation with somebody who was in the professional game and to gain some more insight. So I already was aware that, okay, well, in any case, you would need a UA for B. So what I did was, whilst I was at Middlesex, I, I did my role there, but I was working with the under nine. So I wasn't working 11 v 11. Um, 
in any case. So what I did was continue with that role part-time and then would gain other experiences. So I worked with, as an example, the, an under-16s team in, in Leytonstone and was able to then get onto my UEFA B licence and go through, that, go through that process. And I passed my B licence in 2015. Now, Middlesex were folding as a centre. So sometimes things are very much about timing. We didn't get a license to become a regional talent club. So it was when there was a change in the infrastructure for the women and girls pathway, the elite pathway. I met Chris again in 2016 at Troy Townsend's racial game, Kick It Out event. So the benefit of networking and meeting and talking to people and going to events that relate to your interests, I think are really important. So I saw Chris, we spoke, and he asked me what I was up to now. So I said, I have my UA for B, I'm at Middlesex, however, we're folding. So I was actually actively looking for regional talent clubs or clubs that I was aware of that would attain the license to become an RTC. He was very clear about the fact that he didn't have any jobs at QPR and said, however, if I wanted to, to come and learn and learn more about the environment, he'd be more than open to me coming to volunteer. That was that. I made the conscious decision of taking a risk, of just going in, and, and I man-marked him. So I would I phoned him up, you know, asked him when I could come down, and would be there most of the time. And, and to allow me to do that, I would then look at my schedule and look at, okay, how much do I need to earn at the end of the week or at the end of the month? What can I do to allow me to earn that much money, which can still allow me to go to QPR and learn as much as possible? So I would get there at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd watch the under 18s. I'd speak to the coaches. I'd go to their SNC, go to the gym and have a look to see what they do. Um, go, ha, you know, have a chat with them about education and, and the other senior members of staff. In the evening, the younger schoolboys trained, so I would hang around and then go over across the road and have a look at training and just really take notes, be a fly on the wall, get to learn the philosophy that Chris has put in place at the club and ask Chris lots of questions. And I would do that probably about twice a week, three times where I could. So. Over the course of four months, I probably would have done over 120 hours of volunteering. But I felt more and more confident in learning about the philosophy um, at the end of the four months. And obviously I did but when I first started. And what happened was Chris turned around and said, we've had a changeover in staff. There's a role opening up and you'll be working with the under nines. And that was that, you know, it was, I was on a con part-time contract and I started my first season with the under nines. And it wasn't the fact that I was the best coach. I'd never even been in, in this environment before, but I did have the qualifications. And what I could offer was an understanding of child development and, and pedagogy and, and learning and aspects of learning. Because I also did the masters in leadership. And I was able to transfer skills. So that was me making sure that I was self-aware and understanding, okay, 
I'm quite new to this environment. There's people here who have been in football a lot longer than I have. There's also ex-pros here who have played the game at, at a level that I definitely have not played. So I have to also understand where I am in my journey, but also look at, okay, well, what, what else could I bring to the table that could be different? So what else could I offer? And that became my niche because then what developed two seasons later was that Alex Carroll, our academy director, and, and Chris saw that actually if an opening was available, I could be in a position to be able to run, run a department and run a phase. And, you know, like I spoke about my previous role being a deputy that, you know, when you're working in a three, four mentory school, you've got 90 children just in one age group. So then you're thinking about how many is that in the whole school? The academies are a, a, a lot smaller in, in context. It's just, it's a completely different environment, which I needed to learn. So, I managed to become full-time through the Premier League's ECAS program. So the club applied on my behalf. I went through interview. However, two years before, I had applied before I was at the club and didn't even get on. You know, and the feedback that I received was that you needed more club experience because what the ECAS does is it provides you with a placement. So they fund your job through you being on a, on a placement at the club which is great because it was an opening for me and, and the placement that I was specifically on in the program I was accepted on was the program for females. So that was, that was also really helpful. And at the end of a two year program, you work towards a diploma. So you have to go on residentials as part of it and you work towards um, a level five diploma, but you get put on a four year program. So it's a two-year diploma and a four-year program. So lots and lots of benefits to it. Great networking and learning about other clubs, particularly when you go on the residentials, because you get to meet and connect with people who work, you know, in, in, lot, in, in not just in clubs that are like category two, like QPR, but cat one clubs, clubs that are in the Premier League. So you, you get to learn about how other people do things. And especially for somebody like me, who's new to the environment, that that's really beneficial. And then it just, my, my role, my responsibilities have evolved from there. And that's purely because what I was able to do was show that I'm open to learning. Um, I have enough humility to understand where I'm at and that there are people who, like I said, have played the game, have other experiences that I, I you know, don't have. But I also understand what I do know and what some of my strengths are. And when you're looking, when you're thinking about jobs and looking for jobs, so my, my strengths, let's say, may not be being the under 18s full-time coach or being the first team manager. But actually my strengths do lie around strategic overview operations and running the department. But at the same time, I love working with the players because I, you know, I went into teaching because I love working with young people and I, and I love working in the development arena. So, you know, anything nine to 16, um, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy working within, within those, within across those, those age groups. And I'm in a position now where I have an opportunity to work across the development pyramid through, through Alex Harrow Academy Director, 
I'm learning a lot more around academy operations, which is putting me in a better stead to think about where I want to be and where I want to go within within the academy environment. And you know, I'm fortunate that I've got a great mentor in in Chris Ramsey, and I think that's really important. You need to find somebody who believes in you. And as much as you know, it sounds really easy. It's not because I know that that's that's a really hard thing to do. But if you can, and you can find somebody who sees potential, sees that you can, you're moldable, that you're open to learning, you know, and that they're willing to take you under their wing, that will really help. You don't have to be an ex-pro. You don't have to be somebody who's got all these qualifications in football, because I'm still going through the vocational route for that. So, you know, yes, I've got degrees in, in, in education. You know, so I'm having to go through the route of actually learning about football, I guess. Um, passed my advanced youth award last year and I'm on my A license at the moment. So, you know, I'm really enjoying that part of the learning process as well and, and just evolving, I guess, as a person within the environment. And like I said, you know, most of the time, particularly because I am full time within coaching and management, you are the only, most of the time, the only female. And all of the time, I am the only South Asian female because there just aren't any other, you know, South Asians doing the, the type of role that I'm, you know, that I'm doing. But in some respect, what that also does is, is make you feel that actually you've got a bigger job here because you want to be able to pave the way and open doors people like you people who um have similar adversities and by me going through this journey hopefully the adversities can be less for, for other people but like i said you know you have to be bold you have to be very resilient within this environment there's a lot of themes that you touched on there that aren't just uh, unique to football i mean you talked about your transferable skills from one uh, role to another You've talked about finding a really good mentor. Uh, often opportunities might not present themselves when you need them and you have to work through voluntary opportunities to get the role that you want. I think there's a lot there that school leavers and graduates can really learn from, especially at the moment where you know, you're often being told that you don't have enough experience for an entry level position. And, and there are ways around that, um, granted not always uh, paid. And that concludes another episode of the Class of 2020 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Be sure to follow us on all our socials. Links and handles will be in the description box below. I've been Asara Yuan Sika, and we'll see you next time on the Class of 2020 podcast. Take care.